God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, the, and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Well, amen. It is good to be with you again today. I am Pastor Stewart here at Calvary Baptist Church in Stanton, Virginia, and we're glad that you're joining us uh, in, in all of this uh, COVID-19 mess. Uh, there's been a lot of changes in our lives. Churches have had to change. I mean, I'm speaking to a basically empty uh, room. Thankfully, I have a great imagination, but, uh, you know, it's just difficult. And, and, and a lot of things have changed in our life. And, and during this quarantine, we've all been forced to slow down and work at a maybe a, a, a lesser pace in our life we've all slowed down that pace and some things have changed and some things have not changed or some things are not as important as we thought they were because we don't have access to them anymore and we're still here uh, it didn't kill us not to have it and so we we realized some things might not have been as important as we thought they were and some things might have become more important in church, that, that's true. I mean, some of y'all may be going to church today in your pajamas. I don't know. Uh, you know, so wearing a suit to church might suddenly have not become as important as just getting together with the people in the church, which is uh, part of uh, the real part of why we, we come together. And so we're missing that, that we, we don't get to be together. Hopefully on the 17th, we're going to all at least be in a parking lot together. We can't leave our cars, but hopefully we can all be parked and see each other and kind of wave and uh, by the way, if you come to that, just uh, honk on the horn means amen uh, in, a, in a parking lot church. So letting you know that. But, uh, but, but we have found out that it can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. Uh, but in, in, in slowing down and beginning to meditate on different things or running into different things, we may have discovered some sin in our life. We, we may have discovered there's some stuff there that, 
that either we are realizing it was there or it's gotten worse even during this time of quarantine. Maybe it's in a personal relationship. You can't leave the house. Maybe you can't go to work or you can't go to school. And uh, suddenly you're realizing that that relationship uh, is, is a source of maybe of a, of a sin in your life. That, the Bible talks about these kinds of sins in the book of Galatians. That'd be a bad attitude, you know, when you can't get along with people you live with, uh, the people you love with and serve with and work with. That's because one of you has got a bad attitude, or maybe both of you. Uh, but, but maybe that's come to light. Or maybe there's an addiction in your life that controls you, and you can't let it go. That's setting up a false god in your life. And you uh, worship that addiction rather than worship the creator God who, who loves you. Maybe you are indulging in an appetite. I don't know about you, but I've got the quarantine 15. I've got I to gotta quit eating so much. Uh, eating a lot of things maybe I shouldn't eat uh, because I'm a bored eater. When I get bored, I eat. If I'm busy, I, I don't stop to eat usually. Um, or, or maybe you're watching or indulging in things that you know are harmful to you or things that, that won't be helpful to you. Maybe you're watching things on a, on a television channel that, that are sinful to you, sexual sin. And, and so maybe those things have been discovered and and maybe you've thought about that and you've decided uh, that, that you go, you're going to change it. Or maybe that slowdown has made you realize that, man, I was running too fast. And even when things go back to normal, I'm, I'm not going to get caught up in that rat race again. It, it's sort of like in the, in the new year when we turn over a, a new leaf, when we make New Year's resolution. But one thing I found about turning over a new leaf is it's still the same leaf. Uh, you know, it's, it's rotten on both sides when, when you turn it over in our, in our human condition. And so when it comes to sin, even righteous people find that they, they sin unwillingly or, or they seem to not want to do it, but they do it anyway. Paul talked about that in Romans 7. He said, the good I do, I don't do. The bad things I do, I don't want to do, but I do them anyway. And he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? And then he says, thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so when we come back uh, uh, together, or, or uh, we want to encourage one another, but, but today as you're, as you're still maybe home by yourself, you, you say, I'm going to do better. But the Bible lets us know in the book of Jeremiah 17, 9, that our heart is desperate is deceitful and desperately wicked and we can't even know it 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 bubbles up from inside isaiah 64 says the righteous we do is like a filthy rag in god's sight so we we'll never get good enough to be good enough for god what we have to do when we are confronted with sin is repent now um there there's sometimes a common belief especially among those who are not don't know the lord jesus christ as their as their lord um, he is the Lord. That We don't make him Lord by uh, allowing him in our life. He already is the Lord. In fact, we bow to him because he is the Lord. But when you come to Christ, here's something you, you begin to realize is that we are helpless and hopeless without him. And so we, we have to repent of our sin. That means to turn our back on it, to turn away from it. And to change not only our actions, but change the way we think, to change our mind. David uh, confronted 
uh, his sin because he was confronted by his sin by a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan, David, in case you don't know, he committed a couple of the big ones. He committed adultery and murder. He committed adultery with one of his best friend's wife and then to cover it up because she was found with child by David, he had him put to death. And one day a prophet showed up and in that day a king could basically do what he wanted to and get away with it. And this prophet of God showed up and, and told David a story that excited the, the passion and compassion in David's heart for the downtrodden, especially as a shepherd. He gave an illustration of of a man having a pet lamb and a man that had many sheep coming and stealing that one lamb and putting it to death just to eat it. And David, in, in righteous indignation, said, that man ought to die. And that prophet stuck that prophet finger in David's face and said, you are the man. And when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you realize that we are the sinners, that we are the ones that put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't Romans. It wasn't Jewish people 2,000 years ago. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. So those that know Christ are very aware of their sin because it's been forgiven. Things have changed. It's sort of like this virus exposes some things because it's forced us into a different situation. We come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mind changes. We begin to look at sin differently, and we realize the sin that is there. But so many times we don't do what we need to do for, for that, which is repent. Today's psalm that was read to you, Psalm 51, is, this, is the repentant psalm. It's the one that David wrote after that prophet told him, you are the man, you're the one that sinned. You are the, the uh, bad guy in this story. And as I said, in that day, a king, he could have had that prophet killed. He could have just said, I don't care. I'll do whatever I want to do. But instead, David repented. And thankfully, he wrote down the words of his repentance because it instructs us today how we could repent. If you don't take anything else home from this message today, I want you to take this home. Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Now, I didn't come up with that. A Puritan said that. But until sin be bitter to us, Christ will never be sweet. If all you do is live in sin, you don't realize how bad it is. But once you know Christ and you see sin the way it is and it becomes nasty to you, then Christ's forgiveness becomes very sweet to you. And so David is crying out in this psalm for God's forgiveness. And in the very first couple of verses, he gives the very first steps we need to take. I, I, I call them the steps of repentance. And, and in verse 1 and 2, and it's already been read to you, I want you to notice there, I hope you have your Bible with you, even if you're watching this uh, on, on a computer or something. Uh, I hope you open your Bible. In those first two verses, David does not start out rehearsing his sin. He doesn't start out by saying, man, I really blew it. We, that's what we like to do. We like to admit we blew it. We like to say we blew it. We like to talk about how we blew it, but we never want to get rid of how we blew it. We want to keep doing it. And in fact, in, in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 7, and I'm going to flip over there uh, real quickly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, Paul again, the Apostle Paul, who's the human means of writing this, he says in, in well, he begins in verse 8, he says, Even if I made you grieve in my letter, I don't regret it, although I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you only though for a little while, and I rejoice 
not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved to repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffer no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There, there's a difference once we're aware of our sin in, in a godly grief and in just a grief. Uh, this is seen in the life of Peter and the life of Judas. Both men had walked with Christ for, for three years. Both were part of the 12 disciples. And Judas, we know, betrayed Christ to the Romans and, and to the Jewish people, I should say, and they turned him over to the Romans for crucifixion. But Peter did basically the same thing. He denied he even knew Christ. He, he forsook Christ. And yet Judas went and committed suicide over his sin because he had a remorse, he had a grief. But Peter also had a grief. It says he began to weep bitterly when he realized his sin. And later on, he repented and was restored by Christ himself. You see, when we begin, if we're looking at our sin we go to despair. But when we look at our Savior, it leads us to repentance. And so the source of forgiveness, and you see it here in this psalm, is the mercy of God and the love of God. David doesn't start out saying, man, I'm a sinner. He started out by saying, no, God, you are a merciful God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. In other words, to the love God has for us that doesn't change. He cries out to God, for mercy. He asked God to give him that mercy. And then in verse 2, he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I, I want to pause on verse 2 for a second because those words in English don't have the same impact as in the original languages of Hebrew and Greek. I, I, I made sure I was right about this. He's asking God to wash him from his iniquity. But then he changes the word and says, and cleanse me from my sin. That washing is to eliminate the dirt or whatever is wrong there. But when he uses the word cleanse in our English Bible, more times than not, it is a word both in the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament that means to be made pure or transparent or brand new. In other words, David is saying, God, I, I want you to do more than just forgive me of my sin. I want you to make me like I used to be. I want you to restore to me that, that, that level of forgiveness as if I had not even sinned. You see, it takes the blood of Christ on the cross for that to even be possible in our life. It is amazing how much David understood how God would eventually forgive us because he goes on to say in, in verse 5, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, verse uh, 3, and I want you to notice here are, some, here are the steps sort of that David walks through that he does say that, man, I know what I did wrong. My sin is right in front of me. And I believe that is one of the first things we do need to do. First, we, we need to acknowledge who God is. You better know God and know him thoroughly. And, and we acknowledge, God, you are great. You're a creator. Listen, God made up the rules. I, you know, in a, in a sporting event, uh, one player violates the rules. And whatever the official there, he blows a whistle, throws a flag, whatever he does... And he says, this is what you did wrong, and this is the penalty for it. You could stand there and argue till you're blue in the face and die of lack of oxygen, arguing with that official about that, and it won't change the rule. The rule is the rule. 
And so you got to obey the rule. And you know when you didn't obey the rule, when you broke the rule, there's nothing you can do about that. You broke it. And David cries out in verse 3, I know what my transgression is. It is always in front of me. In other words, David couldn't forget what he had done. He says, my sin is ever before me. I can't get away from it. It haunts me. Even as I say this today, if you're listening, maybe today as I say those words, something comes up in your mind, something comes up in your heart. I don't know about you, but I'm so embarrassed when I remember the things I've done that violate God's will for my life and God's word. And David says, I'm going to define that sin. I know what I did. See, here's the fact that maybe we forget. God knows what we did better than we know what we did. We can, we, if you even admit that you did wrong when you're telling somebody, you may change it around or, or, and try to get out of it. You see this uh, on, on uh, reality television shows involving the police, man. You know, everybody that's been pulled for DUI only had a couple of beers, right? None of them are ever drunk. No, I just had a couple of beers. Find out later they're blowing, you know, pure alcohol out of their breath. It's just, it's crazy. And we try to, we try to, you know, kind of hedge our bets sometimes when we admit it. Listen, God knows your heart. Not only does he know what you did, when you did it, he knows why you did it. And he knows in your heart you're glad you did it. That you have to come to a place where that sin becomes bitter before Christ can be sweet. You've got to realize that what you did was so horrible. So you have to avoid defensiveness, and you've got to see God as being right. You see, God not only keeps the rules, he made the rules. And you can appeal to him all you want. The rules don't change. Notice what he says. He says, against you, you only have I sinned. Now, wait a minute. David's sin, I thought, was with his best friend's wife, and then he killed his best friend. Isn't that against them? Well, yes, they were victims of David's sin. But David's sin was not because they had made a rule that you couldn't commit adultery with that woman or you shouldn't murder that man. God made those rules. And so the offense is against God. Even though these people suffered for David's sin, the offense was against God. And David says, I'm a sinner, and I know what I did wrong, and my sin was against God and you only. And then he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so you can be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David is saying God is blameless when we break God's laws. God is blameless in that. We did the sin. God set the rules that shows us that it's sin. And in verse 5 he says, even... I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David is not saying his mother sinned when he was conceived. David is saying that at conception, I already had that deceitful, desperately wicked heart. Now, for those who think killing babies is all right, uh, David said at conception I was a sinner. There are some church people who may not understand that. We don't become sinners. We are sinners from the very beginning. We are sinners from now and forever, from the beginning of our lives to the end of our lives. We'll never be a perfect being until God redeems us fully and we are in heaven with him. Will we be redeemed fully so that sin has no more 
hold on us. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin, I was conceived. And then he says, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach wisdom in the secret heart. David says, we got to look to Christ because only Christ can give us a new heart. Even in the Old Testament, the Bible predicted that God would take out our stony heart, that heart that was hard against God and put in a heart of flesh, a heart that would be sensitive and tender toward God. At the end of Romans, or not, at the end of Romans chapter 2, Paul says that we're not Jews that are Jews outwardly, but those who are Jews inwardly, and that those that have, have the, their heart circumcised so that their heart has become tender towards God. That is what makes us the people of God, is to know God and to be tender toward God. There in verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean up. I just want to pause there. Listen to what David is saying. This is an appeal to Christ. Why does he use the word hyssop? Because in the Old Testament, back at the uh, Exodus with Moses, we know that Passover night that the Jewish people still celebrate every year, where God said, I want you to kill a certain kind of lamb. I want you to take the blood and put it over the top of your doorpost and on either side of your door. It made a bloody cross. But what they used to do that was a hyssop branch. They would dip the hyssop there, and it became like a paintbrush, a natural paintbrush, and they slung some up there, and they put it on either side. Every year when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and present that sacrificial lamb as they remembered Pentecost, as, as they, uh, I'm sorry, the Passover, as they remembered the Passover once again, he would go in, he would kill this lamb, he would drain its blood into a bowl, and he would take that bowl in the Holy of Holies and he would take, you guessed it, a hyssop branch and dip it in that blood and sprinkle it on that spot, on that ark between the two angels. The Bible lets us know that that ark of the covenant, maybe you remember it from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's a real thing, it's somewhere, we don't know where it is, it's somewhere probably still. And, and, but that place was a copy of the one that God let Moses see in heaven. There is a place in heaven known as the mercy seat. And there are two live angels guarding it. And it is on that mercy seat that Jesus took his own blood and went back into heaven, into the holiest place of heaven. And he put his own blood on that mercy seat and looked at the Father and from the cross he cried out, It is finished. It's done. The debt has been paid. The lamb has been slain. The blood has been shed and has been put on the mercy seat so that we can cry out for mercy to a God who provided the very sacrifice. David is pointing to Christ here. And he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Remember what I told you about the word clean? David is saying if Jesus comes in and takes away our sin, he makes us brand new. Paul put it this way in the New Testament. If any man is found in Christ, he's a brand new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. And so David is looking forward to Christ, and he says, Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. In other words, he's saying, I, I want you not only to blot it out with your blood, but I want you to turn your head away from my sin. It, it's an awful thing when the light of God's word comes in on our sin. It's just like 
as a kid, maybe you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, and suddenly your parent walked in and flipped on a light and said, what are you doing? Uh, people been in uh, trouble with the law. They were doing something, and suddenly that police light is on them saying, hold it right there, what are you doing? God comes to us in our sin. He sheds light on our sin, and he says, look at this. What, why are you doing that? He wants from us repentance. He wants from us to turn away from our sin and to realize how bad it is to back off. We, we were walking uh, in the mountains yesterday, a, a little trail, and what we're aware of is snakes are now out. So we were looking for snakes, and you know the best way not to get bit by a snake? Don't be standing next to him. Just get away from him, that's it. And the Bible says what we ought to do with sin. The Bible says flee sin, run away from sin, and look to Jesus for forgiveness and for his righteousness in us. And in verse 10 he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. He's asking for that pure heart, that transparent heart, that perfect heart. He's asking God to restore him and to make him brand new. He says, renew a right spirit within me. Think about who David is. David became the musician for King Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, but man, Saul blew it every step of the way, bought Saul did maybe one right thing, and then from then on it was downhill. He just, you've got to read his story in the Old Testament. It, it's horrible. And David becomes the new king later in his life. But as he was serving Saul, what he saw was that the Spirit of God had left Saul. The Spirit of God had abandoned Saul because of Saul's continuous disobedience to God. He would never do it the way God told him to do it. And so God rose up. David, but David had watched that fall of Saul, and here he says, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Renew a right spirit inside of me. Make sure that I, I am not cast away, he goes on to say, from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. David is asking God to heal him, and to make him right again, and then to comfort him by God's Spirit. It's interesting, we, we don't know the Holy Spirit's name, we know his title, and several of his titles, the Holy Spirit, and one other, and descriptions of him as well as a title, one of those is the other comforter, or Jesus is our comforter, he saves us, but the Holy Spirit is another comforter, who comes and makes the words of Jesus become real and live in our life. And so, when we have sinned, we got to, first of all, know who God is. Then we got to know what our sin is like. And then we've got to avoid defensiveness and tell God, God, this is what I did. And I'm asking you, because you shed your blood, Jesus, for my sin, to take away my sin, to blot it out by your blood. And Lord Jesus, please restore to me that relationship through your Holy Spirit that I can have with you. Well, that's not the end of the story. Once we come to that place of repentance and having God forgive us, we find that there's something for us to do. It begins in verse 13. He says, Then will I teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. David says, Once you have forgiven me, I've learned my lesson, and now I'll be able to warn others, to tell others. I don't think it's a prerequisite that you commit the same sin to talk to somebody about their sin. You can do that just out of common knowledge in your brain. 
But man, somebody that's really blown it and knows the pain of blowing it, when they describe what it costs, it becomes real. Most people sin and do stupid things because they believe they're the exception to the rule. They think that all the laws of nature and God are just suspended because they're so special. Listen, friend, you're no special kind of sinner. The Bible says all of sin and fall short of glory of God. There's none that seeks after God's righteousness, not even one. We are all sinners that need a Savior. And if you're sitting there saying, oh, well, God hasn't judged me yet, friend, guess what? <laughs> yes, he has. Your day's coming. You know, uh, as a little kid, you always watch those TV shows, those westerns and things like that, and even today, man, when the guy gets caught, he's tried, and he goes to jail, and it's all done within 30 minutes. Man, it seems like some people in, in, our, in our system, they don't even get to trial for a year, and then after that, several years before they're ever sentenced, and put away or not put away or declared innocent. It seems like it takes a long time. The Bible says, don't count God like a man. He knows exactly what you've done, and in some cases, he's just letting you build your own case against yourself. You're none too good to come to God early and ask for his forgiveness and his help. And David says, I will then teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be returned to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. David knew what he had done. He had betrayed his friend, then he killed his friend. And he took his wife. And he says, deliver me from that, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Sometimes when we have been forgiven and, and our lives get straightened out, we think we did something big. No, you need to rejoice in God's help. The Bible says we don't have any righteousness of our own. The righteousness that is in the Christian is the righteousness of Christ that is given to us. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Christ. It is Jesus' righteousness that is given to us that God sees. It is a gift from God. It's not from ourselves. And so we rejoice in that. He says there in verse 15, I open my lips and my mouth declare your praise. Because, look at verse 16, because God doesn't delight in my sacrifices. He doesn't delight in my bringing an offering to church or, or to give to the church or to help uh, an organization that feeds hungry people or clothes uh, people that need help or builds them a house. Those are good things. It's, it's fine to do those things. But that doesn't get you credit with God. David says, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would give you one. You're not pleased with the burnt offering. And notice what he says. Here's what God's looking for in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart of God you will not despise. As Americans, that's who I am and probably most of my audience today, we have a pride about us. And that pride can slip into a sinful pride very quickly. And that pride is that I'm not going to be broken. I'm not going to allow myself to be defeated. And Sometimes that's not a bad attitude, but it becomes a bad attitude when that's how we approach our sin. When we say, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to bend here, I'm not going to break, God's not going to break me. But David says that's what God is seeking, for you to be broken over your sin 
not just to feel sorry about it, but to repent of it. Those verses in Corinthians that I read says we have a sorrow. We are, oh man, I'm sorry, but that's a sorrow we got caught. And a despair comes when we realize we got caught and there's no way out of it. But repentance brings about a healing. We acknowledge the sin and God removes the sin. It's sort of like if I have a tumor somewhere in my body and I go to a doctor and he's able to operate and remove the tumor. I can feel bad about myself because I got a tumor. I can be sorry that I got a tumor. But I need somebody to take that thing out. And feeling sorry for your sin doesn't help. But coming to a place where you go to God as the great physician and say, man, I got, I got something that's killing me here. And I need you to take it away from me. And he takes away our sin and he gives us his righteousness. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. If you come to God all proud, he can't help you. You see, the first service of repentance is to rejoice in him, but to be broken before him. And then these last two verses, you think they don't fit. In fact, when I read them, I said, hmm, that's odd. Let me see what that means. It says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burn offering and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Here's what he's saying. Lord, if you make my life right, then I will begin to help build your kingdom. You see, the church is the embodiment of the kingdom of God on earth. People argue about this topic a lot. And if they just listen to me, they'd know the right thing. Now, I'm only kidding. I can always be wrong. But I do know this. The church is the kingdom of God on earth. And God is building this kingdom. He calls it different things. He calls it a house. He calls it a body. He calls it a flock of sheep. And God uses all these parts to build the whole that one day will be seen as his kingdom. He doesn't have an earthly kingdom with land. All the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. He still rules over this world. But he is bringing the world in subjection to him because there's so much rebellion here. And in these last two verses, David is saying, God, build your kingdom, use me, make it strong. And then when we're right and I bring a sacrifice, it's going to mean something. I can't give God a sacrifice hoping that'll buy salvation for me or buy God's goodwill. No, that is a gift from God that I have to receive, and the way I receive it is having a broken spirit and a contrite heart and coming to God and acknowledging my sin and letting him forgive me of my sin. And when that happens, now I'm in a right relationship to him, and I give him a sacrifice as a gift, and he accepts it because we're in right relationship. If your enemy offered you a gift, you'd back up going, what's that? Why are you giving me that? Because you would be doubting that person's motives. When we are in rebellion against God and we think we can buy God off, he's like, I don't want that. I, you're not giving me that in the right spirit. But once God puts that right spirit in us, we can build his kingdom and we can offer him sacrifices and, and things that are pleasing to him. So I want to ask you a few questions before we close out. First of all, have you looked to God alone as the source of your repentance and forgiveness? You will not find forgiveness any other place. You, won't, you can't be religious enough. You can't buy God out. You can't give enough to make God happy enough to forgive you of your sin. 
Isaiah said that, Jeremiah said that, Paul said that, the whole Bible says that. The only thing you can do is come to God, a broken person, and ask God for his forgiveness and healing and help. And so if you look to him alone, and I challenge you today, if you're listening and you don't know Jesus Christ, today you can open your heart, admit your sin, and he'll forgive you and he'll become your Lord, your Savior. So what steps do you need to take? As we've gone through this psalm, what steps still remain for you? Have you not even called out to God yet? Or in calling out to Him, have you just felt sorry for yourself talking about your sin instead of talking about how great God is and how you've been disobedient and rebellious to Him and that you need Him to forgive you of that? What steps do you still need to take? Maybe you still need to receive not only His forgiveness, but being made brand new, His Holy Spirit working in your life. And then, lastly, how are you helping someone else? You know, we don't like to admit we're sinners or the sin we've committed because so many times people are not like God. They judge us rather than help us. But those who have been forgiven of sin realize that everybody needs God. And if you're one of those people... Are you helping someone else to be recovered out of sin, to find that place of repentance so that they can be made right with God? Listen, in this time where we've got more time to look at God's Word, to meditate on Him, to even know things in our life that need to change, instead of trying to turn over a new leaf, why don't you repent and find God's help today? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus. There is nowhere else where we can go to find forgiveness of sin.